Would you turn over in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2? We're still looking at our topic of boundaries, and as we've been looking at some of the aspects that fasting will change, we're going to take a look at the life of Moses here. And if you're up on Facebook, and you saw last night, I gave you a little introduction on this. What was it about Moses that made God select him over all the Hebrew children that there were? Why is it that Moses was the one who was selected to be protected, to receive this call? Is it the call of God that was on him that made him special? And because of that call and because of that specialness, the um, he received the protection that he did? Are some people just destined to be, uh, destined for greater things? So Moses' life can teach us some things, some truths about boundaries. And about how fasting and getting your flesh under control can help us. So we're going to take a look over here at Exodus chapter 2. In verse 1, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him that the daughter of Pharaoh came down to, the, to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she got the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid... And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now, take on this first question here. Was Moses called by God to be the deliverer because he was special? Why is it that some people have such a great call in their life? Why did Paul have such a great call in his life? Why did Elijah have such a great call on his life? What about Elisha? What is it that he did that would that he would receive such a great call? David. Joshua. I mean, our list can go on, but it seems like out of all the millions of people available, one person, two people in that generation received a call that took them to a great place. So, was Moses called by God to be delivered to be the deliverer because he was special. Now, God being God, he knows the choices that Moses is going to make. He knows the choices that you are going to make. We serve a God who lives in the now, the present. He lives in the past and he lives in the future. We do not serve a God who is bound to time linearly like we are. And we've used the examples of it before. We've told you a number of times. God took a man from the past, took him to the future to write about something that hasn't happened yet so that you can read about it now. 
I mean, that's just playing with time right there. To take John from the past, take him to the future, let him see something that as it is happening, not something, this is what it's going to look, as it is happening, he is seeing it. And then he writes a book that you get to read in the present about what still hasn't happened yet. When he was asked about questions involving the man who had seven wives, he says, you're mistaken because you do not understand the power of God nor the kingdom of heaven. He said, and he ended it by by saying this, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. It's not that God was the God of Abraham, God is the God of Abraham. That's amazing. He's the God of Abraham right now. He is just as much in touch with the life that Abraham would live right now as he was linearly while it was happening. But Abraham received his call because the Word of God tells us that he, they knew, God knew he would teach his children. And it was important for God that, his, that the children would be taught. So this is, this is how I would summarize this. Moses was not selected because he was special. God knew the decisions that Moses would make in the future. And that made him special in the past. Do you know the decisions that you have not even made yet? God already knows that you're going to make them. He's already lived that time out where you have made them. And those decisions will have an impact on your past. The same way that Jesus' death on the cross had an impact on all the people that went before and all the people that came after. Your decisions that you will make will impact what God knows He can do with you. So that's why it's so important that we get a handle on our flesh and that we feed our spirit and increase our spirit so that it's capable of doing some things. Moses, in the first 40 years here, he does, he's nothing special. In the second 40 years, he's still nothing special. But in that last 40 years, he turned a corner. And God says, I know the corner this guy's going to turn And he's going to become something that few ever will. So I can put this call on him and I can set him apart because of what he will do. Now some may say that the call that was on Moses' life made him special. Can the call that is on your life make you special? I would say no. The call on your life cannot make you special simply because there are too many people who have a call in their life who don't walk in it. If that call made them special, then they would have been. Something would have been unique. Something would have, would have, they would have soared just because it was on them. Samson had a call in his life. Maybe he thought that call would make him special, but he didn't live his life out like that. No, your faith has to develop when your faith develops and you grow into that faith doing things, that is what makes your spirit strong 
and spiritually you can become something special. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 23, I'm going to pull out some notes from what went through this in Hebrews, so some of you may remember a few of these things. But it reads this way, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now that word there for hidden, it's uh, used many times in the... It's used, uh, I think, about 16 times in the Word of God. It's used of things like the truth being hidden by parables. It's used of light that cannot be hidden. It's used when it talks about the treasure that was hidden in the field. And you can go on and look at a a number of other times it was used. But it means pretty much what you would think here, that it was hidden. When he was uh, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now his parents, Amram and Jochebed, it says that they saw he was a beautiful child. The word there, beautiful, I'm not real sure why they, they called it that way. I'm going to give you a picture of what this word is. If you're here in Hebrews, you probably remember this very, very well. If not, we'll review this for you just a little bit. But if you're wondering, what does it mean when it says that Moses was a beautiful child? How many of you have ever had an ugly baby? I have seen some people's babies that I question the beauty of that baby. Come on, haven't you? You've seen some babies and they, man, that's a, that's an ugly baby. <laughs> now you don't say that to them. But you were thinking it. But if that was your baby, what would that baby be? Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. No person has ever had an ugly baby. Other people may think it's not as beautiful as you think. But when it says here that they saw he was a beautiful child, there's got to be something more to this because everybody thinks their child is beautiful. All the other Hebrew women who had babies in this time that were being killed, thought their child was special, thought their child was beautiful too. But that word there for beautiful, it actually is made up of a word that comes from a city. Asteos comes from the Greek word astu, which means a city. What this basically means is they're calling him a city boy. Have you ever run into somebody and said, oh, there's a city boy? How can you tell? Well, sometimes the way they carry themselves, the way they dress, the way they talk, you can tell some people whether they were born out in the country. Why? Well, it's the way they talk, the way they dress. I told you the stories when I was out in Oklahoma. And really, in Oklahoma, there's only two places to visit, and I don't like one of them. That's why I had one place to be. I did not like ever leaving the city of Tulsa. I left it a couple of times to go to Oklahoma City and I could not wait to get out. I did not, I do not like, still do not like Oklahoma City. It, I just don't like it. Been in there a few times and couldn't wait to get out. But Tulsa, that's something different. Oh, Tulsa, I love being in Tulsa. Tulsa is a fun city. But as soon as you get outside the city limits of Tulsa, it is another world. It is not like leaving Philadelphia into the suburbs. It is not like that at all. It is like leaving Philadelphia for the moon. I mean, you get to the edge of the city and there's nothing there. 
and then it gets less and less as you leave it further. I mean, there is nothing there. I was, I, I had a job, I to, told you, had to go out to different, different, well, they called them cities. They're not cities. We wouldn't even call them a suburb. But if they had a McDonald's or a Walmart, they were on the map. If any city outside of Tulsa and Oklahoma had a Walmart, or, I didn't say in, I said or a Walmart, they were on the map. Because you generally only had one or two. There was one city I was in that actually had both. A Walmart and the McDonald's. That was rare. That was the city of Poto. How many have ever heard of Poto? I didn't think so. There is no reason for you to hear about the city of Poto. It's further down south. Of, it's pretty much straight shot from uh, Tulsa down south. And uh, they had both a Walmart and a McDonald's. I told you the stories. I pulled into a t- town. The, the customer said, when you get into town, give me a call. So I pulled into town. I found a phone booth. This is back in the days when we had phone booths, not cell, booth, not cell phones. Phone booth. Go to the phone booth. Put the quarter in. Yes, a quarter. You had a carry changer. Put the quarter into the phone booth and called him and said, I'm here in the town. Where, where do I go to get to you? Because there's no GPS. And he says, all right, you're at the phone booth now, right? The phone booth. This city had one, one phone booth. Now, it's not a big deal now for a city to only have one phone booth. But back then, that's your only way of communicating. That was it. They had one phone booth in the entire, I call it a city. It is not a city like you were thinking. It is not a town. It is not a, it is nothing that you have ever seen. The first person I ever went to and delivered, went to their house to sell them what we were selling I went over a bridge that most of you probably never would have gone over. This bridge was a wooden bridge that had planks that would go along the way that you would think they would go along. And then on top of those planks were two four-by-fours on this side and two four-by-fours on this side for which you put your tires, one on one set of four-by-fours, two, two the four, so it's eight inches. And then other set of tires on this side, and you would drive. Now, if it was a straight bridge, that'd be fine, right? It is not a straight bridge. This bridge turned. This bridge, this is only their bridge. This bridge does not go anywhere in town. This bridge is what you have to go over to get to the person's house. And it winds and it twists. And I have a fairly new car, and I'm taking this thing over there. And uh, he signed. I think I told you the story. He signed, and we got all the, the stuff, sold it, and I left. And it was my first sale. It was the first sale I ever had for them. And I'm leaving. And as I'm leaving and going down the road, praise God, I got over that bridge. Praise God, I got over that bridge. Uh, didn't slip the tires off. Kept on that bridge. And praise God, as I'm getting on down, I said, oh, I forgot to get on the sign something. Had to go back over that bridge to get that done and come on back. But sometimes people would run into me and they would, they would say, you're not from around here, are you? Now, they hadn't met me. But they heard me over the phone and they were talking with me over the phone and said, yeah, I told my wife you're a foreigner. As a foreigner, because uh, I wasn't from Oklahoma. So I was, so they, they saw me as a city boy. They didn't know I was, I was born in the city, but I wasn't raised in the city for more than a couple of years. But um, I've been called a Yankee out there and, and uh, sometimes just a lot of, uh, there's a lot of attitude <laughs> for, for some people. Because um, uh, just because 
I didn't act like them. <laughs> That's basically it. I didn't talk like them. I didn't act like them. I was, I mean, for people around here, I was a high-powered person. I was a fast person. I talked fast. I worked fast. Whatever I did, I did it fast. That's just the way that I did things. Now, you go out to a place that is slower than you could ever imagine slow. <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm still going the same speed. And uh, they actually have pulled me aside on, on work when I was selling this stuff. And they said, Steve, you got to slow down. You can't talk this fast to people. You can't walk this fast with people. You can't, and they just start going all, you can't do all these things this fast or you're not going to sell anything. You got to slow down to, their, to somewhere close to their speed. That frustrated me so much I gave the job up. When I worked over at Ken's Pizza, they thought I was on speed. They actually thought for weeks, they thought I was on speed. I worked there and just kind of stayed to myself. They thought I was on speed. They knew, then they found out I was a Raymond student studying for the ministry. He can't be on speed. So they watched me for the longest time. And they finally decided this is just him. This is just the way he is. And so they actually came up to me, a couple of people said, we thought you were on speed when we first met you. And they found out I guess that I wasn't. But anyway, you know, people, they, because of the way you dress, because of the way you act, they, they, they kind of place you in places. And they think you are from a rural area, you're from a suburb, you're from a city, you're from New York City because you, you uh, dress a certain way or your expectations are a certain way or whatever it might be. So when this word is being used here, of the city, what they're saying is that they determined that Moses was of the city. What city do you think they mean? Do you think they mean that he's one of the, from one of the cities of Egypt? Why would he be of the, one of the cities of Egypt? He was born in the Hebrew area. Now what they're saying is, this baby is different. This baby is of the city of God. The way there's just something about the nature of this baby. There's something different about this. This baby is of God and has a special call on his life. And when he uses that word, that's the word that's we're looking at. Stephen uses this exact same word to describe Moses in Acts chapter seven and verse twenty. These are the only two times you see this word used in the Bible, in the in the New Testament. This is Greek. Only two times you see this in the New Testament. Now Moses' parents saw or perceived that something in him was worth taking a risk for. Somehow it was worth taking a risk. They risked their lives to protect this baby. For three months, they, they said, this baby is, is something, we cannot let this baby die. We are risking our life. If the Egyptians found that they had this baby, they would, they would kill them. Because they disobeyed the, the rule to throw the babies into the river. You're supposed to throw the babies into the river because they were afraid of the population of, of males that was happening there. So they saw that he was worth the risk and they risked their lives to hide him. Not just because they loved him as their son. There had to be something more because all the other people, they may have taken a risk for maybe a week. 
but then they decide, no, we gotta, we gotta do this. Now, did they have a plan to hide him? Because look at, um, back in our, our scripture again. Verse, um, verse two. Let's go back to that one. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. How well could you hide a baby for three months? Because babies have a unique sound. And there's not a whole lot of protection they have. For three months they did so. But when she could no longer hide him, that word right there is very significant. Those words right there put together. But when she could no longer hide him, how many of you can see that she would have hid him longer if she could? It's important to know. She would have hid him longer if she could. But she felt like she could not. And to continue going this way, not only risk their lives, but also the life of the baby, Moses. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dubbed it with, with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, laid it in the reeds by the riverbank. And his sisters stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to, the, to bathe at the river. Now they all know her routine. The Egyptians, they were clean people. They bathed several times a day, not just once. And so they knew her routine for, for coming on down. How many of you fall into a routine? You know, you, you, you do certain things at certain times in the day, you can, unless something comes up and throws that off. But generally there's, there's, a, there's a routine. Well, they had a routine. Sent the maids out there to get it. And she saw there was a baby. Figured it was one of the Hebrews' children. And she went and, and kept it for herself. She's going to keep this one. Now, have you ever perceived that God had a plan for something? I think God has a plan for this one. I think God has a plan for my child. I think God has a plan for me. I think God has a plan for something here. And you have determined that God has something unique. God has a plan. God has something He wants to do in this particular area. But it doesn't quite seem like God is doing His job. Have you ever had that? I mean, you you did all the stuff you were supposed to do, but it doesn't seem like God has come through on His end here. Maybe you're believing God for a healing, and you thought you did everything that you're supposed to do, but it doesn't seem like God has come through on, on His end. Maybe you believe God for a certain thing that should be done in your life, or a calling, or whatever, but it doesn't seem like God is doing His part. When she can no longer hide Him. How many of you think it's a, there's a possibility here that she saw this child is, as they put it, of the city? And if God has selected this one, isn't it up to God to protect him? Now, there's a whole lot here that's not in the passage, but I can kind of read into this and maybe you can see it too. How many can see during this, the last part of this three months, at least the last part of this three months, maybe a little bit sooner, there were a lot of close calls. There were a lot of times that and they almost found him. I don't know how we didn't have that happen, but boy, they almost found him. And I mean, just our whole lives almost changed in an instant. We would have been killed. He would have been killed. 
And she has to be getting a little bit frustrated because I'm thinking, if God put this in her heart to preserve this child, that this child has a call on their life, doesn't God need to come through and do something? How many of you would think that? God needs to come through and do something. When she could no longer hide him, when she finally came to the place where she said, I can't do this anymore, it's not working. This is an important lesson to learn here. If you only come out of here with one lesson, I hope you come out with more. But if you only come out with one lesson, I want you to see this. She had faith to keep Moses hidden. But there came a time when the faith to hide Moses had to change to the faith to reveal him. So many Christians have faith for one aspect of what God can do. But when the change comes and God says we're going from hiding to, to, to revealing, fear comes in. I'll give you an example maybe you can relate to a little bit better. Maybe God has shown you something that's going on in your body and you've been believing God for a change on that. And God says, do this, and you have done it. And you had faith to believe that that thing he told you to do would do it. But then you hit another spot. And God says, all right, now we need to change from what you have been doing to this. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. So I have faith for this level. I have faith for this part over here. But you want me to go out and do do what? Just like some of the people who came to for Jesus to heal them. They came and they were ready for, I'm ready for Jesus to lay hands on me and to heal me. And Jesus says, go wash. Or he spits and makes mud. Or he says, doesn't touch you. He says, rise up and walk. See, my faith was all ready for a certain thing. And then all of a sudden, it had a change. See, sometimes we've gotten so complacent in our faith, I believe God for this. But I can't make that change. Mom and dad had to make a change from faith to hide Moses to faith to reveal him. Now see, up until now, they've gotten this thing, hide them, hide them, hide them. So they're hiding them. But then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is going to begin to speak to them, reveal him. Get thee behind me, Satan. In the modern TV vernacular, it's, what you talking about, Willis? Uh-uh. No, this isn't jive. Reveal, what do you mean reveal him? If the Egyptians see him, they will kill him. See, that's a transition in faith. And if they were not willing to do it, and she resisted, didn't she? Can't you see in the scripture she resisted? When she could hide him no longer. She tried to go against this. But I can't do it. I cannot hide him any longer. He's going to be discovered. It's not in the scriptures. Maybe she sought after God and said, God, what do you want me to do? Maybe God gave her the plan of the ark and the reeds and and that Pharaoh's daughter was the target. 
Maybe that was the plan that God put down in. We don't know. Maybe it's just something that came to her. Maybe it's just something that she was hopeful of. We don't know. But when she can no longer hide him, if she could have, she would have hit him longer. And the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So he called his, so she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of water, which is what Moses means to draw out. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting and he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now it seems that Moses knew he was a Hebrew. It may be that Pharaoh's daughter didn't keep this from him. It may be that he had some questions and eventually the truth came out. I don't know which way that it was. You watch some of the uh, TV shows, movies that they made about this. They you know, kind of made an interpretive move in the movie, whether he... Uh, discovered it on his own or whether he was told this all the time and I've seen a couple of different ways that they've done this but we don't know exactly what it was uh, but somehow he knew at this point that he was a Hebrew because he goes out to his brethren it also seems he knew that there was a call on him to be the deliverer he knew there was a call on him to be a deliverer it may have been very clear to Moses because it was so clear to Moses that he was called to be the deliverer, he was thinking that probably the Hebrew children, being the children of God, would also know he was a deliverer. And he kind of expected them to accept him as a deliverer because it was such a real thing to him that he was willing to go out and to settle this dispute, he, he killed the Egyptian. Now, if you go through the timeline on this, and I'm not going to go through all the whole timeline. I'll, if, if anyone's curious or doesn't know about this, we'll, we'll help you out with it. But in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13, we're told, well, the prophecy is that they would be in captivity 400 years. When they finally are released from captivity and Moses leads them out, it's 430 years. He was 40 years in the backside of the of the wilderness, which meant this event occurs at 390 years of captivity. So they still have 10 more years of captivity for the prophecy to be fulfilled. 400 years. They went over 30 because of Moses' actions. But what Moses does is he, he kills this Egyptian to, to deliver that particular... Israelite from his oppressor and from the situation that he was in. But that's not how the people saw it. He was called to be a deliverer. But what did they say? Verse 14. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Did God call him to be a prince? 
called him to be a deliverer. Did God call him to be a judge? He called him to be a deliverer. But you see, here's what happened. Moses has a calling from God. He, he picks that up, he understands it, and like a lot of people, I got the call, I need to step out in it. God has called me into this thing, I need to step out, I need to do this thing now. And so he, he listens to a voice that tells him, you are the deliverer, you need to deliver that one from their oppressor. And so he goes out and he delivers that one from the oppressor, the Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian. But see, that wasn't the voice of God. That was the voice of his flesh. Or it could you could say it was the voice of Satan. Maybe the kingdom of darkness came in. But somehow it was not the it was not the voice of God. It was another voice that came in. He yielded to it, listened to it, and instead of becoming a deliverer, in the minds in the view of the people, he became something different. He became a prince and a judge. Well, no wonder they don't see him as a deliverer. They see him as a prince and a judge. Who made you a prince over us? Who made you a judge over us? That's what God called him to do. When God puts a call in your life, and every single person here has a call in their life, when God puts a call in your life, understand this, your flesh will tell you things to steer you along in that call that will take you in a wrong direction. And will have you seemingly pursuing the call, but becoming something you are not intended. He was not called to go around and kill Egyptians who were oppressing the Hebrews. But he did it because he thought he this is what God wanted him to do. Moses thought he was following after God. Did Paul think he was following after God? Paul had a great call in his life, but he pursued it in the wrong way. And God had to stop him. Other people have, have done this as well. Samson had a call in his life. He pursued it the wrong way, never straightened up. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptians? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And so he leaves and he flees. Now he had, by our math, he had about 10 years of preparation in order to become the, the deliverer. Isn't that about right? He had about 10 years of preparation. Now think about this. He got 40 years on the backside of the wilderness. Deserted place. What would have been better? 40 years preparation in the wilderness or ten years in a palace. If God puts a choice for you, Steve, I'm going to get you ready for the call. You can spend 40 years in the wilderness under the hot sun, pulling water out of wells, fighting off people who want to steal your sheep. Or, you can stay in a palace have people pull the water for you, have all the comforts you could possibly want, and be developed there. Your choice. How many of you would take the wilderness? Now, don't think for a moment 
that it's just that Moses said, you know what? I don't want all the comforts of the palace. Because he did. The reason he leaves is because what he did became known. He was thinking it wouldn't become known. I mean, if you deliver a guy from, from being beaten, don't you think he'd be grateful? But he didn't. He went on he told. It wasn't so uh it wasn't so good. Now you can look back there there and say he rejected the comforts of of that. Well in essence I guess he did. He could have just said, I'm gonna hang on to the pleasures of the palace and all that and not walk in the calling. And in making that decision to kill that Egyptian, he rejected those things, but it could have been easier for Moses and he would have been made ready faster. Now, I don't know that God would have had him at the palace all ten years. We don't know. But he sure would have been at the palace longer than he was. I put this in your outline. At least I think I did. Flesh decisions can make spiritual preparation more difficult and or uncomfortable. Abraham made a flesh decision and that made things difficult and uncomfortable. Lot made a flesh decision and that made things difficult and uncomfortable. You can say that for a whole lot of people in the Bible. They made flesh decisions and it made pursuing their calling difficult, more difficult, and even uncomfortable. Moses was not called to be a prince. He was not called to be a judge over Israel. He was called to be a deliverer. Verse 15, When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to the water of their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Raoul, their father, he said, What is it that you have come so soon today and they said an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock he said to his daughters and where is he why is it that you have left the man call him that he may eat bread and Moses was content to live with the man and he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses and she bore him a son called his name Gershon for he said I have been a stranger in a foreign land now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out. Their cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Do notice this, that Moses is not amazed that the bush is burning. 
He's amazed that the, that the bush is burning but is not consumed. It would seem that what God used is something that may not happen every day, but something that does happen. And that the bush is burning. So you're on a, that's either how hot it was out there, or whatever the conditions were that caused this uh, to phenomena to happen, apparently other times, because he's not amazed that the bush is burning. We're not talking about a brush fire, we're just talking about a bush burning. He wants to turn around and see this because the bush is not being consumed while the bush is burning. That's what draws him to this. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. The man is 80 years old. 40 years. 40 years. Then another 40 years. This man is um, afraid to look upon the face of God. This is the man and then in a few years he will be looking at God face to face. He will have discussions with God like God never had a discussion with man since Adam. But here he hides his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who were in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the Egypt of the children of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Now, if God's going to show up this strong in a burning bush, there's a couple of reasons for it. One, you're not listening to him in in your spirit. That God has been speaking to him in his spirit. He's been ignoring it. Now, we do that, especially when we've had a failure in the call of God. If I feel that God has called me to do a certain thing and it has failed... And I feel God calling me to that thing again. I say, nope, I'm not going back to that. Mm-mm. Well, we got this burning bush going on. Now, when God gives you something this strong, and Brother Hagin used to teach us about this uh, quite often. He said, don't ever, don't ever um, ask for dreams and, and visions and burning bushes and stuff like that. He says, because the greater the revelation the greater the test of trial that will come. Because nothing that you do for God will be without some requirement of faith. And if God gives you a burning bush experience, just know you're going to have all Egypt against you. Brother Hagin used to tell us that I, I love when I just get a still small voice down in my spirit says, go do this. Oh, good. It's going to be easy. <laughs> but you get that strong revelation. Opposition is going to be hard and God gave you something to help carry you through it. He gave you a stronger revelation. Don't seek them. Don't ask for them. If they come, just know it came for a reason. 
the opposition to whatever it is that you're going to do is going to be strong. You can fall back on that and rely on that. Well, God, I know God said. I know God told me. As long as Moses has lived, he hasn't grown much. I'm going to just jump ahead on some of these here for you. In verse 6, Moses is afraid to look upon God. In verse 11, Moses sees himself as inferior. In verse 13, Moses doesn't know who called him. Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses doesn't believe his own call. Verse 10, Moses doubts God's wisdom and ability to equip him. Verse 13, Moses doesn't want to grow or fulfill the call. I'm happy where I'm at, tending sheep. Take that call and give it to somebody else. I don't want it. So God gets this burning bush to get his attention. But Moses, verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now before you think that's a good, humble way of of looking at things, it is not. God does not want him looking at himself like, Who am I? The Word of God does not say, Do not think highly of yourself. It says, Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. But you see, the devil loves to corrupt things. He wants us to... Don't think highly of yourself at all. See yourself as lowly. I can't look upon the face of God. I'm not worthy of this calling. I can't do this calling. Look at yourself as nothing. God does not want you looking at yourself as nothing because God doesn't see that He made nothings. And if you see yourself as a nothing, you're saying, God, you made a nothing here. I mean, in this one, when you made this mold, you flopped. I mean, how many of you all know when you're growing up, you sure didn't say to your mom or whoever it was that cooked, and, and if you got older, you sure didn't say it to your wife or whoever it was that cooked. If they say, how is the meal? You never say, man, this is the worst I have ever tasted. I mean, would you say that to the... You, you wouldn't do that. But we'll say that to God. When we look upon ourselves. You just, you messed up with me, God. I have no talent. I have no ability. I have no value in this world. You really messed up with me. It's a slap in the face to your God. That's not a humble attitude at all. It's actually kind of prideful. So he said, God says, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on the mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. They say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the God of the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Now he says, Call for the elders, but these elders of Israel have not kept Israel in the right path. Israel has wrong thinking going on. They apparently had some idolatrous practices going on in Israel. 
So these elders are not doing a, a whole lot of good stuff, but God says call them anyway. God can use and work through leaders who are not up to par. Because he tells Moses, I want you to go out there and I want you to call these leaders, these same leaders that are not doing anything to help keep Israel out of idolatry. Because when they were pulled out, they kept going back to idolatry. They kept going back to Egyptian idolatry. They weren't doing a good job. Verse 17. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then you will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. God told him to plan. He's not going to do it right away. I'm going to have to do wonders. That's plural. More than one. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that they shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters and you shall plunder the Egyptians. They're going to be so glad to get rid of you, they will pay you to leave. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it to the ground. So he cast it to the ground and became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. Then they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. And so he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if you do not believe, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the second sign. If they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, they may believe the message of the latter sign. The first sign is the sign of the snake. The second sign is the sign of the hand. These things were not picked at random. I don't know how long ago that I've, I've, uh, I've gone over some of the details of this, but I couldn't see it in the last two times and we did it, so I thought I'd go over this with you again. There is meaning behind both of these types, behind both of these things that are done. In the first one, there is a snake. If you have a rod in your hand and you cast it down, and that probably turned into some type of a venomous snake, some type of a scary snake. For me, if you're out in that area, if you if you're out in Egypt, a cobra to me is a very scary snake. I mean, they just stand differently than other snakes do. Their head is different. We know that they're they're venomous. We and, and just nothing. They're, they're nasty snakes. I see a cobra, I would probably run too. But this is what he says. He says he casts the thing down and he flees from it. And he says, no, go back to it. Go back to that snake that you just fled from and pick it up by the tail. If you were going to pick up a, t- a snake, I don't pick up many snakes, but if I'm going to pick up a snake, I don't pick it up at the tail. you got to pick it up at the business end. <laughs> if you pick up a snake at the tail, that, that business end is able to, to get around and do all kinds of stuff to you. You do not want that to happen. If you see a professional snake handler holding the snake, where they got to buy? 
You got it by the head. If you got the tail by the head, you have that snake under control. But he says, go over to it by the tail. Now, if you're by the tail, that's because you know snakes better than anybody. It's like that Steve guy on the on the uh, wildlife stuff. When he had a tail, he had a, I think he said it was a 30, 40, I don't know, 50, big, long, green snake. Big, big, long, green snake. And he's sweating, holding it by the tail. And he said, this thing can whip around in here and get me. And if it gets me, I'm dead. You know how he does those sort of things. I forget what his name was, his last name was, but he's out there. He's got this snake by the tail. That's because he understands the snake a whole lot better than you and I do. If we had the snake by the tail, we'd be bit. <laughs> but he's out there holding the snake by the tail. Here's what it's a type of. In the story that we just read, what did Moses flee from? from Egypt what is the snake a symbol of it is a symbol of Egypt and he says the thing that you fled from you are now going to grab by the tail and when he grabs it by the tail it becomes a rod again something that he can easily control then he has a second sign and a second sign he says, take your hand and put it to your put it to your chest, put it to your bosom. When he did so, it became leprous. And he said, now take it and put it in your bosom again. Well, you see, Israel is said to be in the hand of God. But while they were in the hand of God and while God held them close to his heart, close to his bosom, they became sinful. They became leprous. Leprosy is a type of sin. And what God is doing with this one, he's saying, now look, Israel is full of sin. But I'm going to take that hand that is full of sin and I'm going to restore it. So the two signs, one's assigned to Moses and one's assigned to Israel. What God is going to do with each of those. Moses, what you fled from, you're going to grab by the tail. And Israel, though you have been infected with sin, I'm going to purge you, clean you up, and restore you. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, then you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have I, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. And then he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. In other words, God, I I just plain don't want to do this. Go find someone else. But you see, God doesn't just call people. He prepares them. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well and look, he is coming now to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. It never does go over how Aaron got away or how Aaron knew that this was the time to go. How is it that Aaron escapes from the slavery, from the Egyptians, at the very time when Moses gets this conversation with God. 
Aaron apparently was a bit, being a bit spiritual. And he heard the voice of God when God says, I want you to go. And I bet you we get to heaven and we get to talk to Aaron. Aaron may say, you won't believe the story, I have to tell you, how I got out of Egypt. He may have quite a story. But isn't it amazing that if he escaped as a, as a slave, that he walks right back in with Moses? Now, verse 15. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God, and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. Now see, God had to change his attitude around because Moses' attitude was of such that I am no good at this. I have failed at the call of God. Either God hasn't done his part, I'm just not good enough, I'm just not ready, whatever it was, but his attitude was bad. No one here can attest to having a bad attitude, can you? If we have a bad attitude, we have to get rid of that attitude. We have to get into a, to a good one. But I put this in your, in your outline, I want you to make sure you got this one. Attitude to be effective must be genuine. Too many people put on the attitude they want people to think they have instead of exhibiting the one they already possess. You see, I have an attitude. We were watching, um, I don't know why we we got into it, but I think my uh, daughter and son-in-law hadn't seen this movie, but we sat down and and watched the the last Star Trek they made, the uh, one with, you know, the original cast, the... um, the new original cast, I should say. The new Kirk, the new Spock, and all that sort of stuff. And um, I was getting them ready, because I, I think they hadn't seen it. And so they were in the scene. How many have seen the movie? Anybody seen the movie, Into Darkness? Yeah. yeah. How many have not seen the movie? Oh, I thought you guys were saved. Well, anyway, one of the best scenes, and we're coming up to it, and I'm getting them ready because, you know, the baby was doing stuff. You got to listen. You got to see this. You got to hear this scene. This is one of the great lines in this entire movie. And it's when, after they had the the report, and they both filed a different report on the incident that happened right at the beginning of the movie. And so Captain Kirk, he kind of lied on the thing, but Spock, he gave the genuine report because he was pretty sure his captain was going to lie. And so he put the genuine thing, and so they were in trouble. And so... um, um, Spock is defending or saying, you know, some of the things that was going on, what he was doing. And so the Admiral was getting a little upset with him. And he said, Spock, are you giving me attitude? And he said, I'm demonstrating several attitudes. To which do you refer? (laughs) I thought, man, that is a great line right there. And he, he, of course, he delivers it with no emotion. Just throws it right out there. You see, you are going to have an attitude. You're going to have many different types of attitude going on at the same time. But what has to happen is the attitudes that you display need to be genuine in order to be effective. Too many times I know this is not the attitude I should have, so I am going to pretend to have this attitude. 
You can pretend to have that attitude, but that attitude won't do you any good because it's not genuine. The attitude that comes from inside must be genuine. You must have a genuine attitude of love to someone if you just try to put on airs and try to pretend like I love you. I don't really. I'm going to pretend like I do. Then that love's not going to do you any good. That attitude's not going to help you out because it's pretend. An attitude, in order to be effective, it has to be genuine. This is what fasting does. Fasting changes you on the inside. It gets that flesh to not be the dominant force. And bad attitudes come out of your flesh. Not out of your spirit. They come out of your flesh. But here's, remember I told you I wanted to make sure you got that one, if nothing else, get that one truth. That one truth was that you may have the call of God. You may know this is the call, but there can be a voice from your flesh that will come up on the inside of you and tell you how to pursue it. And that will get you in trouble. That'll hinder you. That'll hold you back. Fasting gets in there and it takes that, that, that flesh nature that has been dominating your life that when you feel, feel mad at somebody, you just get mad. Or at least you think mad thoughts. But I don't, I don't let anybody else know it. I put on airs. Hi, how you doing? And inside, you creep. You mean, nasty person. You, you have, this is what's going on the inside. Because the attitude you have on the outside, it's not genuine. I don't really love this person. I'm just trying to pretend that I do because I don't want to deal with what will happen if they know how I really feel. Fasting gets those attitudes on the inside of you and gets them genuine. Notice this about Jesus. If he felt someone was a hypocrite, what did Jesus do? He'd call him one. If Jesus felt that a person was a liar... What did he say about him? He called him a liar. If they, if he thought the person was genuine, but just missing it on some things, didn't he deal with them differently than if he thought they were false? He surely did. Because he had control over his flesh. And when he spoke out, he spoke out of his spirit. You see, you could say some harsh things, some nasty things at least appear to be harsh and nasty but it comes out of the Spirit of God it can be helpful Jesus helped Peter when he said get behind me Satan Paul helped people who had gotten into false things by correcting them but I can have a wrong attitude like I can't do that I don't want to do that I don't like this person just get to develop a wrong attitude. And it will hinder us. But you serve a God who lives in the past, present, and the future. What you do in your future, what you do here in your present, what you do that you haven't even done yet, God can take it and have it have repercussions in your past. 
because I know this one will be faithful with what I tell them, I can speak these things to them because I know what they'll do with it. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 16, this is not necessarily a summary of his life, but it's talking about some things that Moses did. It said, Thus Moses did according to all the Lord had commanded him, so he did. This is so often describes Moses. Whatever God said for Moses to do, Moses did it exactly like God said. Except for one time, Moses did exactly what God said, exactly how God said to do it. Now, don't get on Moses for that one time, because I don't think we can even say, except one time. Now, I put this, this next part, I, I think it's in your outline. Um, this is actually just something I copied over from when we were going through this with Hebrews. I wanted to remind you of this because you might have forgotten it. Or if you weren't here for Hebrews, you didn't hear this. We don't need a long word. We need long endurance. You do not need a long word from God to tell you what to do. What you need is long endurance on the things that God has already said. Because God has spoken something to each one of us. Whether He has spoken it to us in His Word or whether He's spoken it to us directly in our spirit. He has spoken something to each one of us. And what you need is long endurance. I came into the, to the kitchen yesterday. My wife was listening to, to somebody that she likes to listen to. And I don't often hear this person, but I heard, heard them on this one and heard their statement. I thought, boy, that's a good statement. I'm glad I came into the kitchen this time. And she was talking about uh, people who say, well, I'm doing that, but it's not working. Have you ever felt you taking spiritual principles that, got, that you've learned, spiritual principles, and put them to work, and it doesn't seem like they're working? Have you, don't, don't raise your hand on this. Just use your inside hand. Don't let anybody know. But have you ever thought to yourself, it's not working? This person had a great statement on that. If you say to yourself, it's not working, the problem is your focus is on your problem. I thought, oh, wow, yeah. That's about you see, you cannot get come to the conclusion that it's not working unless you're looking at the problem. You can't come to that conclusion. If you always are looking at the answer and have your eyes on the answer, you never notice it's not working. Because all I see is, I see the answer. But if I see, man, this problem, it's still here. It's still going. It's because you're focused on the problem. Oh, that was a great, great one. I enjoyed that one. I think, I think it was Gina. If you all remember her, she came out here some time ago. I think that's who it was who had made that statement. But don't focus on the problem. Don't focus on what's hindering you. Focus on long endurance because you see when God's when you endure long on the things that God has spoken to you, God can take that long endurance from the future and bring it all the way back to your past and qualify you to do something that you haven't even done yet. Moses was qualified be the deliverer, to be the man of the city, the city of God. 
way before he ever did anything to actually qualify. We have a lot of years of disobedience, a lot of years of following after the wrong thing, a lot of years of listening to the flesh, a lot of years of ignoring the call of God. But God says, that's all right, because I know over here he's going to get it. Just like with Abraham. Why in the world do you suffer with Abraham for a hundred years to get it right? Because I see how right he's going to get it. And because he got it that right, I'm going all the way back here and I'm putting that call on him. And all the way back here, he put that call on me. Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Not because of what he did in the past from that point. Can you, can, can you get your head around this? It's because of what he did in the future. What you're doing today, what you're doing tomorrow, what you're doing next year, whatever it is that you are doing and you are holding out, you are enduring long on. God says, that's what I needed. That's what I needed. And it goes all the way back to the beginning where God put the call on your life. Because he put that call on because he knew that whether it would take 40 years 80 years, 100 years, 120 years, it didn't matter. If you would eventually get there to that place where he could put that call on, we got it. This is where fasting comes in. Because fasting will help you get a handle on your flesh. If you can say that when something bad happens during the day, that it can change your attitude to a bad one for the rest of the day, you do not have a handle on your flesh. If words come out of your mouth that you do not mean and did not intend to say, you do not have a handle on your flesh. If thoughts come to your mind that are not based on the love of God, you do not have a handle on your flesh. If thoughts come to your mind where you doubt the things that God said He would do for you, you do not have a handle on your flesh. I could keep going. I don't think I have to. When our flesh dominates us, we get a view of ourselves and we say, how in the world can God love me? How can God call me? God made a mistake. Surely I am not what God needs me to be. Because all I can see is who I am now. But your God sees who you became. And because of who you would become, he put that call on your life. Don't ever let the devil, don't ever let your flesh, don't ever let the kingdom of darkness get in the way of you becoming what God said you could be. Don't ever accept his view of you as God's view. And just know this, your flesh will try to inspire you to achieve your calling. And just like it did for the people in the Word, it will always result in failure. But it doesn't mean that you have failed. It doesn't mean that you won't accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. 
You don't need a long word from God. What you need is long endurance. Whatever God has said, you need to endure long. Hang on to it. If we spend some time, we can go back to Abraham's life and you can see he had a word from God, but he didn't endure. When God came to him, Abraham, blessed blessed man. God got all kinds of nice things about him. And Abraham says, how, how am I blessed? I don't have a kid. What more can you give me? I don't have a kid. That's a wrong attitude. But God still loved on him. And God will still love on you. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Some of you have sent in some of the things that you're looking to change. Some of the things that you're speaking to. And I'm standing with you on those, seeing those, those things get done. If you haven't taken on fasting as a regular part of your life, whether you have fast days, and I do recommend that if you haven't ever done fasting, start off with some fast days. A day. Taking a day and fast. Don't jump right into a fasted life right off the bat. Get some of what you can get out of the, out of the days of fasting. But then once you've had that, living a fasted life, we talked about some before. If you have any questions on that, let me know. I'll try and help you out with that. Living a fasted life will bring great benefit to your life. Doing things not just with food, but anything that your flesh wants. You need to be able to say, I am not going to do it today. You are not going to get this. Because you are the master. Your spirit is the master of your life, not your flesh. But your flesh wants to try and do it. Don't let them. Don't let that flesh rule you. Your spirit is too. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the love of, that you have for us, that you love us, that you've called us. You have a plan and a purpose for us. That plan has to do with our families that we are ministers to. It has to do with our jobs where we are ministers. We are beacons of light for you. It has to do with our neighborhoods where we are also beacons of light for you. We set your example in the midst of people who may not otherwise see any other example. Father, I thank you that whatever we go and whatever we do that just as you were with Moses just as you were with Joshua, just as you were with David, just as you were with so many others, you will be there with us. And if you go with us, no man can stand against us. Help us, Father, to not focus on the forces that come against us, but to focus on the God that is in us. And just as Moses went from a life of no victory to a life where it seems like victories just come fast and furious. I thank you for his example that you left with us in your word. I give you the praise and the glory in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before we go, you all have seen the, the packages that are up here for the last couple of weeks. We are... Um, uh, some of the, the youth are going around and they're asking you to, to sign up for, uh, that's just for the, 
uh, the one uh, little little raffle they're doing to um, raise some money for this. But if you want to just give money to this, just write on your, your envelope, send money in. And uh, for this, we're going to be using the money for the cards and then empowering you all to go out into these, these stores, the Walmarts and the uh, grocery stores and, and different places like that. And you're going to wander around there and let the Spirit of God lead you to somebody and have that opportunity to give them a gift card and talk with them about the Lord. You don't have to talk with them for a long period of time. Just talk with them. Alfred to pray for them. And you're going to be blessed. They're going to be blessed. It's going to be a good time. So if you'd like to give to that, that's, that's coming up. Just right in there. Uh, the Christmas gift cards, whatever you want to put in there, we'll know what you mean. And we'll let you know how we're doing on this as we, as we go along. Have a great rest of the day. And uh, bless the week.